0: This show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. It's time to stand up against big tech. Protect your data at expressvpn.com slash ben. Just a quick reminder, the best deal of the year is now here. 50% off your new Daily Wire Plus annual memberships. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe right now to join. Last night, the Israeli war cabinet approved a hostage deal with the terrorist group Hamas. According to the Israeli government, the deal will see 50 Israeli citizens released, mostly women and children, in batches of 12 or 13 per day. The Prime Minister's office has released a full list, and that list shows many, many young people, but their parents still in captivity or dad still in captivity and mom released families destroyed, families split, and all the rest. For each day of such releases, Israel will pause its current offensive against Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Israel said it would pause its air operations for six hours daily in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. That provision was apparently sought directly by Yahya Sinwar, the head of Hamas, who wants Israeli UAVs down for that time period to limit Israeli surveillance, presumably to save his own skin as he tries to escape whatever rat hole he is currently trapped in. For its part, Israel insists it will still have surveillance capacity without the UAVs. Hamas will also supposedly allow the International Red Cross access to the hostages, despite the IRC's publicly obvious disinterest in such a mission. Israel will also release some 150 Palestinian terrorists, or women and minors. In other words, a democratic government is trading terrorists for innocent women and children being held by a terrorist group. Israel will also allow additional fuel into Gaza, presumably to be stolen by Hamas. The deal is supported by the Israeli Defense Forces, the Shin Bet, and Mossad. That support led many of the members of the war cabinet to flip from opposing the deal to supporting it. According to the Times of Israel, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu further insisted on the potential release of more hostages, a refusal to release terrorists convicted of murder, and a commitment by Hamas to locate the other hostages held by other terror groups in the Gaza Strip. That last point is really important. There are multiple distinct groups in the Gaza Strip reportedly holding Israelis hostage. And some of those groups are actually Gazan civilians who participated in the massacre of October 7th. According to the Times of Israel, quoting an unnamed government official, "Quote: Israel believes Hamas could potentially locate some 30 more Israeli mothers and children beyond the initial 50 and that the halt in fighting could be extended by a day for each group of 10 more Israeli hostages who are located and freed." The Israeli government released a statement, adding, "Quote: The Israeli government, the IDF, and security forces will continue the war to return all the abductees, complete the elimination of Hamas, and ensure that Gaza does not renew any threats to the state of Israel." Here is Prime Minister Netanyahu explaining that after this pause, the war to eviscerate Hamas will continue. He says, "Outside, there's a lot of nonsense talk, as if after we cease fire for the release of the hostages, we'll stop the war." So I would like to clarify, we are at war, and we will continue to fight until we reach all our goals. He says in war there are stages, and also in the returning of hostages there are stages. But we will not let go until we reach the absolute victory, and until we bring them all back, This deal is, in fact, highly controversial inside of Israel. There are two separate strains of logic being applied. On the one side, there are those who believe that as the cordon tightens around Hamas, they'll start killing hostages, that Israel must do what it can right now to free as many hostages as possible before that happens. They believe that Israel will be able to continue to successfully pursue its long-term goal of eradicating Hamas, even if that goal is made more difficult by Hamas' activities during the pause in fighting. There is some evidence to support this idea. Yesterday, for example, Palestinian Islamic Jihad released news of the death of one of the hostages, which they then promptly blamed on Israel procrastinating, which is weird because the hostages wouldn't even be in Gaza if terrorist groups had not taken them there. Bring the hostages home as fast as possible at the lowest possible cost and then destroy Hamas. That is the logic of those who support the deal. On the other side, there are those who worry that hostage deals have always been terrible policy. They remember the 2011 Gilad Shalit deal, in which Israel obtained the release of one kidnapped Israeli soldier from Hamas in return for, and I'm not reading the statistic wrong, 1,027 prisoners, including 280 serving life sentences for planning and perpetrating terrorism. Those prisoners were at the time responsible for nearly 600 Israeli deaths. In fact, one of the prisoners who was in fact released in that deal was Yahya Sinwar, the current leader of Hamas, who planned October 7th. Opponents of the deal remember when the authorities told them security in Gaza was good enough to withstand the risk. Those authorities were obviously wrong. Opponents of the deal worry most of all that the current pause will be used as an excuse by the global community to pressure Israel for further quote-unquote de-escalation with a terrorist group that just slaughtered 1,200 Israelis and kidnapped another 240 and pledges to do the same and pledges Israel's destruction. They worry that as the focus shifts from Hamas's evil to hostage deals, there will be a broader effort to leave Hamas in place. Such worries are well-founded. For its part, Hamas is already claiming to have achieved such an end. Last night, Ismail Haniyeh, the political head of Hamas living at five-star hotels in Qatar, released a statement saying a truce was going to happen. The term for truce that Haniyeh used is the same as the term for ceasefire. Haniyeh hopes this will serve as a propaganda victory, telling the radical Muslim world that Hamas has somehow fought Israel to a standstill. Many in the media are doing the same. Already, the media are using the pause set to go into effect on Thursday as an excuse to talk about leaving Hamas in place. Politico Today has an article from one Colin Clark of the Sufan Group and Michael Kenny of the University of Pittsburgh stating that Hamas is actually a kind of nice terrorist group, that they're not ISIS. They have merely territorial goals they can be negotiated with. According to Clark and Kenny, quote, unlike ISIS, some of Hamas's goals are actually political. And so there will be no effective solution to the crisis unless it also includes a political resolution. That is an absurd contention given the events of October 7th and Hamas's stated goal of repeating as many October 7th as possible and their stated goal of completely destroying the state of Israel. But Hamas is playing the game. Hamas released a statement that at the very end suggested that what they're really looking for is an independent Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. Never mind that what they mean by that is the complete destruction of the state of Israel. They are not looking for a two-state solution. But that contention that Hamas can be left in place is being issued by a wide variety of sources as the pause begins. David Ignatius of The Washington Post hopes that the hostage deal will provide a, quote, surprisingly pragmatic formula for easing the conflict, expanding into a de-escalation of the nightmare. Presumably, some in the Biden administration hope the same, that the Israelis will simply forget about what Hamas wants, what Hamas has done, what Hamas pledges to do, even before the bodies of October 7th have all been buried. The White House is obviously conflicted. Certain members are standing stalwartly by Israel. Others are fretting over the possibility of Iranian aggression. In reality, if Israel leaves Hamas in place, the possibility of regional conflict grows exponentially. It is only the impression of Israeli strength that has prevented a wider regional conflict thus far. Hamas would rearm and declare victory. Hezbollah would be emboldened in Israel's north. Terrorist groups in the West Bank would grow more violent. The Houthis in Yemen would up the ante. The Sunni countries would shy away from Israel and seek their own methods of defense against the Shia incursion, creating more opportunities for nuclear proliferation. Iran would grow more aggressive until they have fully developed a nuclear weapon, at which point pretty much all hell would break loose. Israel must reestablish deterrence and security. That is, in fact, the primary goal. Hostages are a coincident goal, but they are not, in fact, the chief goal. If Israel does not reestablish deterrence and security, Israel will find itself under violent attack from its enemies every single day. The simple fact of the matter is, there is no ceasefire on the table with people who participated in October 7th and celebrated it. Here, for example, is some tape from a Gazan civilian who participated in the October 7th attacks, bragging about it publicly. What he is saying here, by the way, he is describing members of a family he slaughtered to his family. He's saying that one of them begged for his life and was slaughtered. One was slaughtered in the bedroom, the third in the bathroom. The excitement. Unfortunately, a huge, overwhelming percentage of Palestinian Arabs are in favor of this sort of activity. By polling data, 75% of Palestinian Arabs supported October 7th. 98%, by the way, hate America. This means that Israel simply cannot allow pseudo-governmental bodies with control over money and weaponry staffed and governed by such people. Israel must secure its own security. They don't have a choice. Everyone in Israel on all sides of the hostage issue agrees on that much. So don't believe the media when they suggest that this hostage deal is suddenly the prelude to a broader sort of ceasefire. It is not. Israel is making that clear, and the world should remember it. In just one second, we'll get to the latest updates on the ground over there first. I want to talk to you about Daily Wire's most trusted privacy partner and premier sponsor of this show, ExpressVPN. You've probably heard by now, you should be using a VPN when you connect it to the internet, but if you're like me, adding an extra step to anything you do every day, well, it sounds like a pain in the butt. But if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you would be doing it already because it really is simple. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely and securely. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs. It's a VPN done right. First of all, it is blazing fast. A lot of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream it in HD with no issues. Using ExpressVPN could not be easier. Just open the app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. Once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure. The data is encrypted. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by Business Insider and Tech Radar. Right now, head on over to expressvpn.com. You can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com Ben to get three extra months of ExpressVPN, expressvpn.com Ben. It truly is astonishing how the world community is so eager to save Hamas. There's so many members of the world community who are eager to save Hamas, believing that when you appease terrorist groups, somehow, magically, this makes the world safer. When precisely the opposite is true. Israel knows. Israel tried to de-escalate with Hamas for 20 years, for 20 years. And the result was October 7th. Hamas has not changed. Hamas is lying to the world when they suggest that there is anything on the table other than Hamas continuing its mission of destroying Israel. This is made clear every single day as Israel releases new footage from the Gaza Strip. So, for example, yesterday, the IDF released footage showing how Hamas uses masks to protect weapons. And this is the thing. When you're talking about negotiations and diplomacy, negotiations and diplomacy obviously have to occur in a situation in which you can trust and also verify That was the old Reagan saw, is that in any negotiation, especially with somebody who really opposes you, you have to trust, but you have to verify. Okay, well, trust is not possible with people whose entire mode of existence on this earth, namely Hamas terrorists and their ilk, is lying, is untruth. These are people who deliberately hide weapons beneath mosques in order so that when Israel has to hit the mosque, they can then claim that Israel is attacking holy sites. These are people who deliberately hide weapons in hospitals so that when Israel has to attack a hospital, they can hide inside and pretend that Israel is attacking a civilian site. This is lying is part of the game. And this is the thing that Westerners need to understand. Hamas, Hezbollah, Iranian regime, Houthis in Yemen, radical Islamic opponents of the West. Dishonesty is an entire tactic. It is not as though honesty is just facts on both sides, it's disagreement over politics or anything remotely like that. It is not. One side is perfectly willing to lie as much as humanly possible in order to achieve its ends. And the other side keeps screaming into the void. Negotiations cannot be pursued successfully under such, situ- uh, under, under such conditions. This, is, by the way, is what Israel found out under the Oslo Accords when they trusted the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian Authority promptly started multiple rounds of violence when the Palestinian Authority used every dollar that came into the Palestinian Authority not to build up civil society, but to siphon it off into the pockets of the Palestinian leadership to build up weaponry, to pay terrorists. Dishonesty is the name of the game in this particular region. The only thing that both sides understand, because Israel understands honesty and its opponents do not, they don't even play in that that kiddie pool. The only thing, the only currency in the Middle East, unfortunately, I wish it were not so, the only currency is actual deterrence power. That is the only currency that actually exists. I'll show you some of this footage in just a second, because, again, it continues to be stunning and astonishing to me that people in the West seem to believe that Hamas is just, you know, they're just another political group the David Ignatius is of the world. Pure idiocy. Diplomacy is a tactic. Diplomacy is not a policy. This is something that the West also seems to have forgotten. The West seems to have forgotten that when you make policy, you have a policy goal, and then you have certain tactics in order to achieve the policy goal. If you wish, for example, for a two-state solution, that is a policy goal. Now, the only way to achieve that policy goal may be to replace a regime like Hamas in the Gaza Strip and hope that at some point in the future, another regime arises that is not a genocidal terrorist group. But there are so many people in the West who believe that diplomacy is like an actual policy. And so when asked in presidential debate, you'll see candidates say things like, well, I would pursue diplomacy. Diplomacy is the answer. Well, that's not the question. The question is, what is the policy that you are seeking to pursue? And is diplomacy the best available opportunity to achieve that policy? This, by the way, is one of the arguments that's happening over this hostage deal. There are a lot of people who believe that Israel should not have been negotiating with Hamas at all. That essentially, Israel should have said from the very outset, you have two choices and two choices only. One, you return the hostages, you surrender, you give up your weapons and you go into exile somewhere. And two, you die. Those are the only two options. But the reality is that when you're in the prime minister's seat in Israel, or by the way, when you're in the president of the United States', States seat in the United States, all the talk about not negotiating with terrorists seems to go by the wayside because immediate interest in obtaining the release of innocent people tends to trump all of the tough talk. I think that's unfortunate, by the way. Again, we'll get to some of the tapes showing what Hamas actually is in just one second. First, the holidays are here. The last thing you need during this busy time of is to miss out on a great night's sleep. That is why my team uses Beams Dream Powder. Beam's Dream Powder contains a powerful, all-natural blend of ingredients, including magnesium l theanine It's not just a run-of-the-mill sleep aid. It's a concoction carefully crafted to help you slip into the sweet embrace of rest without the grogginess that often accompanies other sleep remedies. Sleep is the foundation of our mental and physical health. You have to have a consistent nighttime routine to function at your best. Today, my listeners get a special discount on Beam's Dream Powder. That's their best-selling hot cocoa for sleep with no added sugar. Now available in delicious flavors like cinnamon, cocoa, chocolate, peanut butter, and mint chip. Better sleep has never tasted better. Just mix Beam Dream into hot water or milk. Stir or froth. Enjoy before bedtime. If you find yourself battling the bedtime blues, give it a shot. Your weary self will thank you. Try Beam's best-selling Dream Powder. Take advantage of their biggest sale of the year. Get up to 50% off for a limited time when you go to shopbeam.com. That discount is auto-applied to checkout. No code necessary. Shop Ben for up to 50% off. Okay, so again, just a reminder. That there will be no ceasefire in the long term or even in the medium term with Hamas because Israel has to finish the job over there. Why? Well, because these are the kinds of people, as we say, who hide weapons in mosques. Here is some of that footage. (laughs) Here's an (laughs) IDF spokesperson saying we're currently going into the mosque. You can see it here. (laughs) We'll now go down to the basement, (laughs) the Hamas rocket manufacturing lab. Kept in the basement of a mosque. I don't know what you do at your church group. (laughs) I doubt it's manufacturing rockets.
1: (laughs) Notice how Hamas built (laughs) entire (laughs) walls to hide the lab. (laughs) We had to destroy them
0: in order to expose the lab. There's a tunnel entrance here. You can see the entrance to the operational <laughs> tunnel. It goes down so the terrorists can hide in it. Don't worry, the morons on Twitter will say it's an elevator shaft. We'll head to the lab, says the IDF. You can see sketches of the rockets on the whiteboard. So, don't worry. These are just good people you can do diplomacy with or even terrible people you can do diplomacy with. They are not deceitful. They would never lie. It's not as though that is a core part of their policy. Meanwhile, Israel has released yet more tape of Hamas using al-Shifa to build a tunnel network. Again, it is amazing how many credulous members of the press were willing to humor the lie that everyone knew was a lie, that al-Shifa was a civilian site predominantly as opposed to a Hamas headquarters, even after Israel released Horrifying footage of Hamas literally dragging hostages into the hospital as doctors sat around and watched. Everyone knew. To understand how disgusting the international community is, what you really have to understand is how many international organizations knew exactly what al-Shifa was and continued to propagandize on behalf of Hamas. It is astonishing. We're talking the International Red Cross. They knew. We're talking about Doctors Without Borders. They knew. Human Rights Watch. They knew. And all of them were propagandizing on behalf of Hamas during this particular conflict. And Israel breached a wall, and what they found behind it? Shocker. A giant, well-stocked terror tunnel under Al-Shifa Hospital. It goes even further. When Hamas is looking for a great place to hide its weaponry, it does so in things like baby cribs. Here's a picture from yesterday. Hamas hid an anti-tank weapon underneath a baby crib. Now, I have a baby. I'll tell you what I don't keep under his crib. A missile. I don't know about you, but maybe that's because I'm not a piece of human debris, like the members of Hamas. Nonetheless, and the, the typical sort of good-hearted American notion that everyone thinks the same way and everyone has the same general mode of thought and we're all seeking the same thing on earth, we're all brotherhood, all this stuff, it's crap. It is not true. The world is filled with real politique, a struggle between people who very often believe horrible things and people who do not believe horrible things. This is why, for example, South Africa has now shifted dramatically on Israel They're now accusing South Africa is Israel of a quote-unquote genocide. That, of course, is not a shock. South Africa has been rife with anti-white hatred for years and years since the end of apartheid. Certainly, justifiably, in some measure, during apartheid, in the post-apartheid era, the promise of Mandela has been almost completely forgotten in South Africa, as there has been a move to tremendously racialize the politics again in South Africa. And Israel has been seen as an extension of that. According to the Times of Israel, one of Israel's most significant partners on the continent one time, South Africa has gradually come out as one of its most vituperative critics, accusing Israel of ethnic cleansing and now of genocide. The genocide allegation has traveled up the ranks of the government beginning on November 2nd with Khumbudzo Heni, a relatively junior cabinet minister, and then was expressed by the president, Cyril Ramaphosa, who called Gaza a, quote, concentration camp where genocide is taking place, which is just the vilest, most disgusting language especially about, again, the Jews who actually suffered in a concentration camp where genocide was taking place. Many concentration camps where a genocide was taking place, which is not Gaza. South Africa is going to move in very dangerous directions against its Jewish population. That's just a prediction right now. And this is true of a huge number of countries ranging from Africa, I would say to the Middle East, but there are no Jews in the Middle East other than Israel because they've all been expelled already, which no one seems to care about. But from Africa to Europe, this is going to be a continuing problem. Meanwhile, Turkey seeking to up the ante Because, again, Turkey can do so at low cost and then make promises to its Islamist population first. There's a lot at stake this November, so don't be a chicken and shop at the grocery store like usual. Instead, head on over to Good Ranchers, where they have great meat puns, but even better meat. Do not miss their Black Friday Your Way sale. It is now live. This November, get your favorite meat free for a year. That is correct. One year of free steak, salmon, chicken, or bacon when you subscribe to AnyBox right now. Better yet, when you subscribe to AnyBox on GoodRanchers.com, you not only get a free gift of meat worth up to 480 bucks, you also get 15 bucks off with code Shapiro. The only deal your grocery store offers is on expiring foods. So ditch the meat aisle and subscribe at goodranchers.com today. They actually shipped me a very special shipment of kosher salmon, and it is, in fact, excellent. I mean, they made me a kosher steak at one point. That was great. I'm just telling you, their stuff is high quality. Claim your year of free meat, 15 bucks off, free shipping with my code Shapiro at goodranchers.com. Good Ranchers is the number one place to get all American beef, pork. Chicken and seafood. That is promo code Shapiro at GoodRanchers.com. Good Ranchers is American meat delivered. Go check them out right now. GoodRanchers.com. Free shipping with code Shapiro. Okay, so Turkey is also seeking to up the ante because uh, Erdogan is an Islamist dictator. According to the Times of Israel, approximately 1,000 boats will gather in Turkey on Wednesday before heading toward Gaza in an attempt to break the Israeli blockade and disrupt maritime trade coming into Israel during the war with Hamas. Now, a decade ago, they tried the same thing. They tried to ship in a bunch of weaponry. Israel had to board one of those ships. And there were terrorists on board that Israel had to kill. And that ended up being an international incident because this is the way that it works. Among the 1,000 vessels would be 313 boats filled with Russian activists and 104 with Spanish activists. Only 12 Turkish vessels would join the flotilla. Apparently, later, they expected the number of Turkish vessels to increase to 1,000. They then suggested that um, the initiative was not associated with the Turkish government, which, of course, is a lie. The operation would be designed to cause disruption in international waters off the Israeli coast to the maritime trade heading for the port of Ashdod in order to interrupt the supply of goods to Israel for a week or even up to 10 days. So it wouldn't even be to try to ship stuff into the Gaza Strip, which is not going to work. Instead, it would be to obstruct other boats from getting into Israel to bring goods into Israel. Just the, The world is filled with delightful people and delightful countries, and it is worthy remembering that the United States does not exist in a vacuum. We are very lucky. As I've said before, the United States is blessed by God in so many unique and incredible ways. Number one, our geography. We are a contiguous continental power. To our north are a bunch of Canadians and to our south are a bunch of Mexicans. On the other two sides is a bunch of water. That is really, really lucky. But that does not mean that the world is not a fairly small place and that the more horrifying countries gain more power, the more horrifying countries feel emboldened, the more that affects your life here at home. I'm not just talking about in terms of security. Sure, it means that there will be an uptick in terror attacks because, again, when terror groups feel that they have a weak horse, they attack. I mean, Osama bin Laden said that much. I'm talking about in terms of your economic livelihood. There are choke points all over the globe. Most of trade does not happen via airplane. Most of trade happens via oceans. Most of it happens via waterways. There are are dozens of choke points all over the world. And as the United States' power wanes in those particular areas, that's going to get a lot worse. If the United States and its allies, for example, cannot guarantee the freedom of the waterways, which has been sort of the guarantee the United States has, has assumed since the end of World War II, I promise you the price of goods, services, everything is going to increase dramatically. If you're worried about inflation now, get ready. If you're worried about price spikes now, get ready. What happens when, for example, China decides that it's going to take more control over the South China Sea and then impose tariffs on anybody moving through? What happens when the Straits of Hormuz are shut off by Iran? This is the sort of thing that happens in a multipolar world. We have all been living in the aftermath and in the current of a dominant American hegemony. And that is a very, very good thing. America and its allies rule the globe. That is good because in that absence, the opposite is really bad. We can pretend that none of this matters, but it matters an awful lot. If, for example, the Strait of Malacca, which is the primary choke point for traded goods in Asia... If, if that, for example, is grabbed by China or controlled by China, that is a serious problem, not only because it gives China an enormous amount of leverage over the United States, but also because it means the prices are going to go up. If the Straits of Hormuz are closed, I mentioned that earlier, that's 30 percent of all oil traded on the world's oceans, which is the majority of oil traded. 30 percent of it can get choked off. You think that has no impact on you? And isolationism is first order thinking. It's first order thing just on a real politic level. Forget all of the moral suasion arguments. Forget about democracy versus dictatorship for a second. Forget about human rights versus some of the most evil groups on the planet. Forget about all that stuff. I understand that's the stuff that emotionally moves people. But there's a whole group of people out there who are isolationist because they are, quote, unquote, real politique, who are thinking about you know, the the hard power aspects of what it means to exist in the world. And they are forgetting that those hard power aspects don't just exist inside the United States of America. America, again, is uniquely blessed by geography. That does not mean that America is autarkic. It is not. We get a vast number of resources from abroad. And by the way, those markets purchase a vast number of American resources. It will have an impact on our life if we go isolationist. It will have an impact on our life if the bad guys win in many of these places. If Russia gains power, that army will be used to mobilize toward choke points. If China stretches its power across the Straits of Taiwan and grabs Taiwan that has massive ramifications for American technology. Virtually all the sophisticated microchips on Earth are produced in Taiwan. This is why we care about Taiwan. Again, forget about the fact that Taiwan is a democratic state that shares many of our values and China is a communist hellhole that shares virtually none of them. The real question for the real politique crowd, because that is what they say they are, they say they are hard headed. We're so hard headed. I mean, I noticed that the hard headedness. The hard-headed isolationism doesn't extend to when people are traveling to Spain or when they are traveling to Hungary to talk with various foreign leaders. Then the hard-headed realpolitik seems to go away, and it's moral suasion again. But even assuming hard-headed realpolitik Pat Buchanan-esque isolationism, all right, well, let's pretend for a second that you got your way. There would be real massive costs associated with that to the American taxpayer, to the American consumer, to American families. And lest we forget, the American economy matters an awful lot to the American family and to American consumers. That is your way of life. That is how you live day to day. Everything seems very distant until the impacts are felt very, very immediately. And that's the problem with foreign policy. It's hard to explain foreign policy, generally speaking, in real politic terms, because it requires a certain baseline level of understanding and knowledge, which is why typically there has been a semi-bipartisan consensus on foreign policy. Why? Because once you get in the seat and you see how certain decisions that are made in places very far away from the United States manifest as real impacts inside the United States, it seems that that clarifies the mind a lot. And that's true for members of both parties, largely. I mean, Donald Trump came into office pledging a certain level of isolationism, and he was able to carry that out to the extent that we didn't involve ourselves heavily in foreign conflicts. But to pretend that Donald Trump was an isolationist on foreign policy is absurd. He personally helped broker the Abraham Accords in the Middle East. That wasn't just a good thing to do. That also was very helpful for the American economic interests in the Middle East. President Trump engaged in diplomacy in Southeast Asia. It was a thing that he did. It is a thing the United States will have to do because again, second order thinking requires that you not just look at the problem that is immediately in front of you and say that's very far away. It's happening in a different place. Foreign policy requires you think two steps down the road because America's enemies are. And that's particularly true for dictatorships. When it comes to foreign policy, dictatorships have a first mover advantage. They do. Democracies are generally very slow to mobilize and they tend to get bored very easily. Dictatorships don't have to worry about that. This has always been the case that China has made with regard to foreign policy, for example. China has always said, we'll just outlast you. We'll outweigh you. We'll outlast you. We'll still be here. You'll just elect another president four years from now and then that guy will do some stuff and if we don't like that, we'll wait another four years and that guy will go away. Having a long-lasting, hard-headed foreign policy is a very difficult thing to do in a democracy and dictatorships know that. That is why The American people and people of the West, generally speaking, have to be a little bit more long sighted in the way that they view foreign policy, because, again, dictatorships have the ability to simply hold the line for literally ever. And if their people don't like it, they just kill them. That's not the case in the West, which requires more of the people of the West. It requires people in the West to actually think about the impacts of the things that they are saying and doing, because those things actually have an impact on how their leaders act. Okay, which brings us to the latest in Ukraine. Now, the issue in Ukraine is, is really not whether Russia is going to win there now. Russia is not going to defeat Ukraine. The issue is, what does an off-ramp look like? The issue is, can Ukraine maintain its own security inside the borders that it currently has? Because it was in America's interest to continue to bleed the Russian army. There's no question about this. This notion that it's in, it's in America's interest not to bleed the Russian army is bizarre to me. Russia's military has been quite aggressive from Georgia to Crimea, to the Donbass, to Kazakhstan, the, the, the Russian military used as an arm of imperialism by the Russian state has been adverse to American interests across the world, including in the Middle East, where they've been very active in places like Syria because Barack Obama basically surrendered Syria to Russia, which was a bad move and has heightened the possibility of conflict in the Middle East. Again, second order of thinking when you hand over Syria to the Russians, it turns out that the Russians are coordinating with the Iranians. That has impact on Ukraine because Iran is using because Iran is working with the Russians to ship technology over It has impact on the Middle East because Russia is helping Iran with its resource problems so it can distribute terror all over the Middle East. And that has impact on the world economy, as we've seen from the shocking extent of the economic impact on the world economy of the war in Ukraine. There are a lot of interconnections in foreign policy. So what was America's interest in Ukraine? America's interest in Ukraine was, number one, preserving the independence of Ukraine against Russia. Number two, degrading the Russian military. And America has largely achieved both of those goals. And then it was in America's interest to continue to support Ukrainian action in the field, until the point at which it was clear that a stalemate had been obtained. That is basically what has happened here. I'd be perfectly happy to continue funding the Ukrainians if they were actually capable of pushing the Russians out of Donbass or Crimea. They've shown no ability to do that. Then the question becomes, are we just throwing bad money after good beyond a certain point? That's the real question we should be asking in Ukraine. That, by the way, is a very different story from, for example, foreign aid to Israel in defeating Hamas, which is a very, very achievable goal. Hamas is a Fairly small, moderately sized terrorist group compared to the Israeli military. The Israeli military certainly has the capacity to regain control of the security situation in the Gaza Strip, which is why all talk of a ceasefire now from a military realpolitik perspective is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Talk of some sort of solution in Ukraine right now makes sense since we've been doing this for a year and a half. The lines on the battlefield have basically been stagnant for at least six months. And we all knew where they were going to end up anyway. Okay, with that said, the Pentagon chief Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin has now made a surprise trip to the Ukrainian capital trying to rally support for Ukraine, even suggesting Ukrainian forces would be even more aggressive in their fight against invading Russian forces throughout the winter. Austin's buoyant prediction about the next phase of fighting comes after Ukrainian forces failed to achieve any decisive breakthrough during a six month counteroffensive, which came at a heavy cost for Ukrainian troops. And the average age of members of the Ukrainian military is now 43. There's also serious concern in Ukraine about the longer term future of U.S. military aid with some Republicans wanting to halt support. Ukraine's ability to, quote unquote, take the fight to the enemy, as Austin put it, will depend in large part on the continuation of U.S. military aid, including ammunition. But it is unclear whether the Ukrainians actually have the capacity to push the Russians back at this point. And they've shown no real ability to do so beyond the first few months of the war when they had widespread success. They keep promising there will be a breakthrough, but there hasn't really been a breakthrough Along those lines. As former diplomat Richard Haas suggested, he said maybe the solution in Ukraine is security guarantees to Ukraine. We make sure that such an invasion never happens again. Ukraine has the ability to withstand such an invasion. But let's be realistic the battle lines ain't moving. Here is Richard Haas explaining.
1: They're going to increasingly say, and we're hearing it in the House, we're hearing it in parts of Europe why should we keep doing this? We're already stretched. We're trying to support Israel. We're worried about Taiwan. Uh, And even if we give everything we need to give or want to give to Ukraine, it still won't lead to success. What I argue, therefore, is the United States needs to have some very uh, direct conversations with Ukraine, with President Zelensky. Talk about reducing their emphasis on liberating land, increasingly put all their emphasis on holding on to what they've got. In the long run, diplomatically through sanctions, yes, we can try to see the rest of their territory return. But for right now, let's have 80 percent of this country safe, 80 percent of this country uh, rebuilt.
0: Okay, that happens to be a good realpolitik perspective. Again, American interests should be secured all over the globe. And we do have an interest in things that happen outside of our borders. In just one second, we'll get to the continuing unpopularity of Joe Biden. First, the NBA season is back and NBA fans now is an excellent time to join Prize Picks, even if you don't follow the NBA, Prize picks offers projections on pretty much every sport there is NBA, MLB, NFL, NHL, PGA, college sports, esports, NASCAR, like pretty much everything, as I say. Prize Picks is the easiest and fastest way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick two to six players and you choose whether they will score more or less than their Prize Picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on a single entry. You don't compete against other people, it's just you versus the projections. Plus, Prize Picks has a reboot policy that keeps your entries in play, even if one of your players gets injured. For NFL games and college football top 25 matchups, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and doesn't return in the second half, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with actual injury insurance. Producer Jake is a big fan of the Memphis Grizzlies. Sadly, they are not amazing this year. But Picks allows Jake to still enjoy watching their games and make entries on his favorite players' He says that the interface is really easy to use. Head over to prizepix.com slash Ben right now. Use promo code Ben for a first deposit match up to 100 bucks. That's prizepix.com slash Ben with promo code Ben for a deposit match up to $100. Also, folks, I bet you thought we were over here just carving turkeys this Thanksgiving, but we're also carving through the woke nonsense and propaganda with content for you all week and weekend long. On Saturday, you won't find any leftovers here. We have a fresh new episode of Facts. Learn why Latin America's political trends have put America in imminent danger and how Argentina's latest election could stem the tide. On Sunday, get ready for a no-holds-barred chat with Israel's former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. So forget the same old bland Thanksgiving TV specials and join me at Daily Wire Plus for a banquet of fearless conversations and facts. Here is a sneak peek. I'll
1: tell you a, a story about a guy called Ben Shimoni. This guy uh, lives in, uh, was in Beersheba. Uh, he was at the party, the, that big party in uh, Raim. Where the there was the big massacre. He he had a car. He he said to a bunch of folks, get in my car. And he evacuated them out to Beersheba, saved five lives. And then he said, Well, I'm going back. And his girlfriend said, You can't, don't go back, don't go back. He went back, evacuated another five uh uh people, saved their lives back to beersheva, went back a third time to the into harm's way he he didn't owe anything to anyone he didn't have to he's a he's a citizen he's not a soldier he's not even a policeman on the third time he took a bullet and died and i just met his uh, his mom this is the highest degree of courage that i've seen but like ben i've seen about a hundred different cases of of courage that even i prime minister of israel uh, and, you know, I fought. I was a commander in, in special forces. I've never seen this degree of
0: courage. The best deals of the year are here. And yes, that includes 50% off new annual DailyWire Plus memberships. You'll get ad-free, uncensored, exclusive content from all your favorite Daily Wire hosts, along with groundbreaking entertainment and documentaries that are reshaping our cultural landscape. But There are so many more deals happening now inside the first ever Daily Wire Black Friday shopping guide. Find 25% off the perfect stocking stuffer, Jeremy's Chocolate. Behold, not only are the famous he, him, and she, her chocolate bars back in stock, we're introducing Christmas-themed chocolate bars with peppermint and dark chocolate as well. These are all 25% off right now. Shop all of the Black Friday deals now inside the Daily Wire's gift guide. Visit dailywire.com slash blackfriday. Meanwhile, Joe Biden continues to sink in the polls. And again, the jokes are now made about Biden. This is bad news for Biden. When the comedians turn on Biden, that's a real problem. They never turned on Barack Obama. They were too busy massaging him. They were too busy performing other specified acts upon him. Stephen Colbert, however, has now opened up his guns on Joe Biden. Here he was last night.
1: President Biden should continue to do what he's been doing, connecting personally with people and making jokes about the coverage of his age. Hey, everybody. (laughs) Knock, knock. Who's there? Not sure if it has been standing silently in my doorway for a while now. He's a <laughs> pale fellow, big cloak, long, sharp knife on a pole. <laughs> Smiling right at me, great shed of chompers. Look into his eye sockets to see a little movie about all the fun stuff I did when I was a kid. Good stuff, funny guy.
0: Okay, so uh, there is a Stephen Colbert legitimately joking about the death of the President of the United States because he is uh, too old. That is not a joke that Stephen Colbert would be making if Joe Biden were riding at 55% in the polls. And the reason they're making these jokes is because Joe Biden cannot get through a single appearance at this point without crashing and burning. Here he was yesterday attempting to tell a story about fentanyl and um, it does not go well.
1: As families all across the country gather this week with their loved ones for Thanksgiving, too many are going to face looking at an empty chair for the first time at Thanksgiving because so many people have died. That's heartbreaking. It's, uh, it really is an American tragedy. Just in the neighborhood I'm in, next door neighbor, and anyway, just tough stuff. People are dying. And, and I'm committed to doing everything in my power as president to get this question under control.
0: Yeah, I mean, he, he's just not with it. He starts stories, he rambles off. I mean, again, everyone can see this. What, what's kind of funny is to watch all the members of his administration who desperately want to run for president to replace him, but are stuck in place because he won't go anywhere. Watching them defend him is really... It's really quite humorous. Here's Pete Buttigieg, who desperately wants to run for president, despite the fact that he is a terrible secretary of transportation and a running joke, whose only actual accomplishment was apparently being mayor of a small town in Indiana and also being gay. Here is uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. I would add to that airfare is becoming much more reasonable lately uh, and
1: unemployment uh, that I don't think has stayed this low for this long in my lifetime. But that doesn't mean you can go around saying, uh, you know, everything's perfect. And we recognize that. Uh, Americans have
0: had uh, a rough few years, especially when you think about COVID and what that did to our society and uh, effects that we are still working through. You think about some of the political polarization that's going on. Uh, we're not out there saying that all of the work is done. Uh, we're out there pointing to the good work that we're doing. They're doing so much good work, so much good work, says people to judge Uh, They're not. And they, they've got a lot of problems, which means, wait for it, they got to redirect toward Trump. But this is their entire strategy. Now, again, I'm wondering increasingly these days whether that strategy is going to be successful or not, because it may all be baked into the cake. I think that their strategy as of next year is trials, 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 Trump in front of courts and all the rest. But the problem is that because they launched all the indictments so early, it's possible that they already got their bang for their buck on that one. It's possible that as Trump appears in court, it doesn't have all that much impact because we're like, oh, look, he's in court again, in the same way that they kept trying to impeach him. And we're like, well, is it a day ending and why? I guess they're trying to impeach him. They're going to do the same thing with these court cases. So they're going back to the playbook. The playbook is, as we said yesterday, he's Hitler. The New York Times now admitting the quiet part out loud, quote, ignore Trump. Democrats now want him plastered all over the news. Democrats are hoping that more attention on him can help turn around President Biden's fortunes. Reid Epstein reporting, when Donald Trump left the White House, Democrats didn't want to hear another word from him. President Biden dismissed him as the former guy, a party-wide consensus held that he was best left ignored. Three years later, Mr. Biden's re-election campaign and Democratic officials across the party spectrum have landed on a new solution to his political slump. More Trump. Criticizing the news media for giving Trump a platform is out. Quietly pining for major networks to again broadcast live coverage of Trump campaign rallies is in. Behind the improbable longing for the former president to gobble up political oxygen is Democrats' years-long dependence on the Trump outrage machine. Since his ascent, Trump has been a one-man Democratic turnout operation, uniting an otherwise fractured opposition and fueling victories in three straight election cycles. Now, Democrats worry the fever of Trump fatigue has passed, and some voters are softening toward a man they once loathed. Many others may simply be paying little attention as Trump's share of the daily national conversation has diminished. As I've said before, Trump's best strategy in this is to basically go to the basement and then just point at Joe Biden. If he does that, he could very easily be president again. And they keep upping the ante. So Joe Scarborough, I mean, my goodness, this is unhinged. So here is Joe Scarborough making a doomsday prediction for Donald Trump's second term, trying to scare you into voting for the old man. Here we go.
1: Just because he hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he won't do it when he gets a chance to do it. He's and if he has voted into office, then a lot of these people that are talking about literal or figurative or whatever the hell they're saying, you're going to look like idiots uh, because he will do, he will get away with, he will imprison, he will execute whoever he's allowed to imprison, execute, uh, 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 drive from the country. Just look at his past. It's not really hard to read. The only, again, the only thing that stood between him and the destruction of American democracy was the
0: federal judiciary? Well, that's not true. I mean, Mike Pence didn't allow him to do what he was doing. Mitch McConnell didn't allow him to do what he's doing. And also, like my favorite part is like, look at his past. He'll execute whoever he wants. Did I miss the part where Donald Trump actually fulfilled his his joke about shooting somebody on Fifth Avenue? Did I? Wasn't he president for four years? Were there lots of political executions that were happening at that time? Did I miss it, or wasn't Donald Trump actually so weak kneed with regard to the DOJ that he let Hillary Clinton off the hook? in the mistaken, but I think sort of justifiable belief that it would be better for the country if we didn't prosecute our political opponents, a rule that was then broken, eviscerated actually, by the Biden administration. All this talk about how scary Trump is. It's Joe Biden who's activated the DOJ against his political opponents. It's Joe Biden who has called his political opponents traitors. And none none of this washes. And again, I don't think it even washes for Joe Scarborough. I mean, if if he really believes that, that this is Donald Trump's past, I'm just wondering why five years ago, Seven years ago, when he was, when when Donald Trump was campaigning, wh- why precisely is it that uh, Joe Scarborough was like sitting right next to him joking with him? When's the last time you joked with Hitler? Is that something you've routinely done? I don't think so. Weird. And just one second, we'll get to the White House's top priority these days, which of course is the trans issue, because of course it is first. I've been talking about my Helix mattress for years. As you know, I took that two minute sleep quiz, got a mattress that was matched perfectly to my body type and sleep preferences. It is firm but breathable, which is precisely what I need. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences for you because you should have a mattress personalized for you the same way I have a mattress personalized for me. They have a Helix Elite collection that is their high-end collection and harnesses years of extensive mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. And that collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben, take their two-minute sleep quiz, find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Your mattress comes to your door shipped directly for free. Plus, Helix has that 10-year warranty. You can try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. Their financing options, flexible payment plans make it, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering 25% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners in honor of Black Friday. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code helixpartner25. Is their best offer yet? It's not going to last long. With Helix, better sleep starts right now. Also, simple fact of the matter is, it is hard to find really good employees. But with Thanksgiving coming, I just want to give thanks to our Nashville crew: Jonesy, the director; Adam, who edits this thing, makes it look good; Matt, the post production manager, who manages all the editors. They're all doing an amazing job. How do we find so many amazing people? Well, ZipRecruiter definitely helped. If you're hiring. You need to find the best people for your team. You need ZipRecruiter right now. You can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash dailywire ZipRecruiter uses smart technology to scan thousands of resumes to find the most qualified people for your job. ZipRecruiter lets the most qualified people know they are a great match and encourages them to apply. ZipRecruiter is trusted by millions. In fact, over 3.8 million businesses have come to ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. See for yourself why so many business owners and hiring managers are thankful for ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. I'd be super grateful if you... Head on on over to ZipRecruiter right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Well, meanwhile, the White House is focused in on the things that truly, truly matter. Like, of course, Transgender Victims of Violence Day or Transgender Day of Remembrance or whatever the going day for trans people is this week. Because there's like an entire calendar for the LGBTQ community. It is amazing how many days there are. I mean, like just an insane number of days. Let me give you a little taste of the calendar. February 2023 in the United States. Well, let's see. There is Aromatic Spectrum Awareness Week 2023. That was February. In March, there was Zero Discrimination Day, Omnisexual Awareness Day, International Transgender Day of Visibility. In April, there's International Asexuality Day, a Day of Silence, International Lesbian Visibility Day, and Lesbian Visibility Week. In May, there was International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, Biphobia, Agender Pride Day, and Pansexual Visibility Day. In June, there was Pride Month, of course. July was Omnisexual Visibility Day, Nonbinary Awareness Week, Nonbinary People's Day, and International Drag Day. In August, there was Wear It Purple Day. That's from Australia. In September, 2023, there was Bisexual Awareness Week and Bisexual Visibility Day. October, last month, LGBT History Month which included International Lesbian Day, National Coming Out Day, International Pronouns Day, Asexual Awareness Week, and Intersex Awareness Day. Are you aware yet? It's a lot of awareness. Are you aware? You should be aware. More aware. How aware are you? You need to be more aware. We'll have another day. Then you'll be more aware. Are they visible? They need to be more visible. Have you seen them? They're visible. Or are they invisible? Probably we need more visibility days. November. All month is Transgender Awareness Month. Congratulations to us. That's exciting. They also had Transgender Parent Day 2023, which begs the question as to which parent actually bird the child, Intersex Day of Remembrance, and Transgender Awareness Week, which of course featured Transgender Day of Remembrance, as though there is a giant genocide going on of transgender people in the United States. And um, just to make sure you remember, in December coming up, just to mark your calendar, World AIDS Day is December 1st, Pansexual Pride Day is December 8th, and Human Rights Day is 2023, December 10th. So that, that is very exciting. That, that is the full, in case you missed it on your calendar, that is the full calendar of LGBTQ plus events. So yesterday, the White House touted transgender victims of violence. Here is Karine Jean-Pierre, the world's most diverse and least talented press secretary, talking about all of this.
1: Well, today on Transgender Day of Remembrance, we grieve the 26 transgender Americans who were killed this year, year after year we see that these victims are disproportionately black women and women of color. No one should face violence, live in fear, or be discriminated against simply for being themselves.
0: Um, so just statistically, she is wrong. She, statistically, she's wrong. Last year, there are apparently 26, quote unquote, trans women who were murdered, as opposed to, you know, like 5,000 dead women in the United States, murdered every year, like actual biological women and uh, and way more biological men. Like the, the murder rate among trans people is extremely low compared to the general population. And in fact, there is a list from Human Rights Council of the 26 trans people killed in 2023. And in the vast majority of cases, like nearly all of them, no motive is listed. For example, Jasmine Starmac aka Joshua Parker, stabbed in the leg, no suspects or motives listed. Casey Lee Johnson, murdered and robbed. Unique Banks, home invasion. Mother also killed three more injured. Zaki Imanit-Witaho, shot by co-worker. Maria Jose Rivera, murder-suicide with boyfriend. Cashay Henderson, shot by habitual criminality repeater. Tortuguita, non-binary male, shot by police during environmental protest. Tasia Woodland, Person shot outside a bar, gender identity, according to police, not a factor. Again, the list goes on and on and on and on. And yet we are told, again, that trans people in the United States are under tremendous threat. It is amazing. Um, Why don't they just list Islamophobia there, too? I mean, it's just the the number of phantom social ills that apparently is rife in the United States, according to this White House, while they ignore actual social ills, is truly an astonishing thing. You know, This is still a White House that is pretending that the Nashville trans shooter who murdered a bunch of kids and that had nothing to do with transness or politics at all. They're still pretending that one away, but they're having transgender days of remembrance at the White House, and we all have to pretend that transgender people in the United or people who identify as members of the opposite sex, that they're routinely being beaten in the streets. It's just absolute silliness. It's not true at all. But you know, none of that matters because the truth doesn't matter. Meanwhile, the White House is uh, very excited because they have now achieved some guilty pleas against the founder of Binance. Binance is the largest global crypto exchange. Now, it happens to be the case that we've seen a bunch of scandals in the crypto space. Obviously, Sam Bankman-Fried was involved in the crypto space, So, Silicon Valley Bank meltdown. That was a bank that was involved largely in the crypto space. Binance, same sort of thing. Apparently, according to the Wall Street Journal, the chief executive of Binance, the largest global cryptocurrency exchange, stepped down and pled guilty to violating U.S. anti-money laundering requirements in a deal that might preserve the company's ability to continue operating according to court documents. Cheng Peng Zhao appeared in Seattle federal court on Tuesday and entered his plea. According to court records, prosecutors accused Binance, which Zhao owns, of facilitating, trans- facilitating transactions with sanctioned groups. I, th- this seems like a perfectly valid prosecution, by the way. I'm just wondering why it is that the American federal government also facilitates transactions with sanctioned groups, namely the government of Iran. But here was Secretary Yellen, very excited about this.
1: Binance processed these transactions but it never filed a single suspicious activity report, and it also allowed over 1.5 million virtual currency trades that violated U.S. sanctions. So we have taken the largest enforcement action in Treasury's history. FinCEN's settlement agreement assesses a penalty of $3.4 billion. OFAC settlement agreement assesses a penalty of nearly a billion dollars.
0: Hey, again, all this is worthwhile. I just want to ask the question, why is it the United States government is directly facilitating the movement of money to the Iranian regime? One of the things they're going after Binance for is the facilitation of $899 million in processed trades between Americans and users believed to be in Iran. The United States just freed up billions, tens of billions of dollars in oil revenues to the Iranian government, which is spreading terror around the region and ending with attacks on American troops. So maybe they should take a look at that as well, so long as they're looking at violations of law. All guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be joined on the line by Congressman Mike Gallagher. He's on a committee that has uncovered an astonishing story about a secret Chinese biolab in California. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us.